Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about the sponsors of today's show, the good folks at GetUpside. Now, what is GetUpside? Well, it's an app that gets you cash back on everyday purchases, not points or coupons, but real cash. And why not earn cash back on the things like gas and food that you're buying anyway? With GetUpside, you earn cash back on the things that you need so that you can spend on the things that you love. GetUpside is great for your wallet and for the businesses that you care about. So how does it work? Well, you simply open up the app and claim an offer for whatever you're buying, be it gas, food, or groceries. You check in at the business and choose which card you're using, or you upload a receipt picture later. You pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid. The cash appears in your GetUpside account, and you can cash out anytime through bank transfer, PayPal, or an e-gift card to Amazon, Starbucks, and dozens of other places. There's no limit as to how much you can earn. So the offers work as such, up to 25 cents per gallon on cash back on gas, up to 45% cash back at restaurants, up to 30% cash back on groceries, and up to 22% cash back at convenience stores. With the bonus code BATMAN20 that is special for the Fire Rises, you will earn an additional 20 cents per gallon on your first fuel purchase. I use GetUpside. I've used it for quite a while now, even before they sponsored us, and I love it. I've gotten quite a bit of cash back on my everyday purchases, and it's been great. Uh, it's really one of those situations where it almost sounds too good to be true, but there's honestly no catch. You use the GetUpside app. Biggest thing is remembering to use it. Use the GetUpside app when you're buying gas or, or at the grocery store, and you get cash back into your account, and you can transfer it into your bank account. Super cool, super easy, and I hope you guys take advantage of it. Remember that promo code BATMAN20 to get an additional 20 cent per gallon off your first purchase. And thank you to the good folks at GetUpside for sponsoring The Fire Rises. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or maybe even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show that we're that you're that we're bringing you, excuse me, and you want to uh, give us a little support, the best way to do that is, as we always say at the end of the episodes, by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. But 
we also have our Red Bubble store, which I always forget to mention, but I want to give a big shout out to Lee Ankeret, who just bought a shirt the other day. Thank you, Lee. We didn't ask you to, but you did anyway. So thank you so much for supporting the show. You can go to our Red Bubble store. That is uh, TFR Batpod. Just search that when you go to Red Bubble, and you can find our logos on all kinds of cool stuff there. So again, thank you, Lee. And uh, thank you, anybody else who wants to support the show. But let's get the show rolling. I uh, My name is Eric Carter. I'm your host. And I'm once again joined, as always, by my partner, my co-host in crime, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, happy Easter as we're recording this, buddy. Hope you've had a good one. Yes, happy Easter. Yeah, it's, it was a it was a fun, hectic weekend. Um, we pushed back recording a little bit, which uh, worked out good for me. Even though it was your request, it uh, it definitely benefited me with the kids being all crazy and uh, getting home a little later than normal. I had an interesting experience when we got home. I didn't tell you. Uh, do you know what a spider cricket is? Um, no, but it sounds terrifying. <laughs> so we walk in real quick and. Uh, my daughter's upstairs going to the bathroom and I hear, eh! <laughs> and I go, <laughs> and I go upstairs and I'm like, Maddie, what's wrong? And she's like, uh, there's a bug in here. So I'm expecting to see like a little, like, you know, spider or something. And then, oh, there's, there's a big spider cricket in her uh, tub. And I had to be the, um, I had to pretend like I was not terrified of this thing <laughs> and uh, kill it for her before she uh, went to bed. And she's like, how'd that get in there? I'm like, oh, that's no, no big deal. Don't worry about it. As I like, shakingly destroy this little bug but yeah it's like a imagine a a really big like it's a cricket but it is i don't know it's like all cartilage it's the creepiest looking thing and they jump like crazy well i just googled it and that's that's horrifying so (laughs) yeah they're big but they fit into the smallest of places and will will come up anywhere it's fun yeah (laughs) All right. Well, household bugs aside, (laughs) um, we are here today for kind of a belated celebration. Um, When you're listening to this, it's kind of a belated Easter celebration because it'll be Easter Monday for your listeners if you're listening on the first day. So happy Easter Monday. But it's also uh, a belated anniversary for a huge milestone Batman book. Uh, It's one that I wanted to cover back late last year in 2021, but... Uh, things kind of happened. Things got a little hectic with with life, and we had to push back some recordings, but we're getting back to it now. So we are celebrating just a little late the 10th anniversary of Batman, The Court of Owls. And if you know anything about me, if you've heard me on any other podcasts or especially like uh, the Batman Book Club or anything like that, uh, you'll know how I feel about the Court of Owls, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna swing it over to you, Joe, for its tenth anniversary. Kind of a little late, but what do you what what are your broad overall thoughts of the Court of Owls? Well, um, I think I actually responded to your tweet when you were reading the book, and I said it is like a warm blanket. It is this book brought me back to comics i mm-hmm. i kind of jumped back in at the new 52 i had started reading graphic novels and and went back and read like batman year one and long halloween and stuff like that around the time of batman begins but i never read the current monthlies until new 52 and 
man, I think a lot of a lot of comic readers that did the same thing had the same experience as us. And I don't know about, I don't want to speak for all of them, but for me, I don't think I realized how good or how special that that story was at the time. Mm-hmm. To me, it was just, oh, cool, I'm reading a new Batman book. And I didn't understand how how much it would impact me going forward and really how I don't think this story, as far as monthlies go, has been topped for me personally. And, and that that is definitely bearing the lead for myself and what I think of the book. But as far as current, like I have other books that I might put higher than this in the grand scheme of Batman books. But as far as the monthlies go since then, I don't think this has been topped. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. And it sort of seems like of the modern era. Now, maybe in several years looking back, we'll we'll pick out some others. But so far as the modern era, personally, it feels like it's Hush, it's Court of Owls, and it's maybe three Jokers. Like that seems like the big iconic stories we have out of the most recent era. Yeah, and if you I, want to go back a little further, you could go Long Halloween because that's not that much earlier than. Well, Hush, see, I, I, I yeah, I kind of tie that into that earlier era. Like for yeah. like, I guess Long Halloween is kind of the end of the of the of the I guess the last age in my mind mm-hmm. because um, like you um what well, you said you hadn't been a monthly reader before the new 52 correct uh yeah I, I was I don't think I ever really read monthlies I mean when I was a kid I would pick up a comic here and there like you know kids do but I wasn't a monthly reader that's for sure right so I, I was a monthly reader for quite a while in like high school um Things like I remember reading Hush as it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a monthly reader, and then at some point, I kind of fell off. And it and the reason I did is because continuity just got insane. Like it was there was so much Batman history to keep up with, and it was just like okay, well I know the stories I love, and I just I just can't keep up with this. So I fell off at some point. But then the New 52, when I found out they were rebooting the DC Universe with the New 52, that felt like a great jumping on point for me, as I'm sure it did a lot of other people. And I think that was the goal of the New 52. Um, And it sure worked because, man, I remember picking up Batman number one uh, the day it came out, and I was blown away by what Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo were doing. And it has continued to be probably one of my favorite Batman runs ever to this day. Uh, and just to get it out there, I mean, you guys kind of got a hint earlier, but Batman, the court of owls is my all time favorite Batman story. I, I love it dearly. Um, so yeah, I could gush about this story for, for hours and hours and hours, but in the sake of time, we're just kind of, we're not going to go through the story beat by beat because chances are, if you listen to this podcast already, you've probably read The Court of Owls at least once. Um, so we're not going to go beat by beat. We're just going to kind of broadly talk about the story and some beats that impact us and then some different, just just some different um, influences that we think The Court of Owls has had going forward. Uh, so Joe, are there any highlights just that immediately spring to mind from The Court of Owls that, you, that you'd like to bring attention to? The first thing when I think most of us think of the Court of Owls has to be the maze. 
and that mm. is an issue. Five. That, yeah, so it, he gets trapped in the end of issue four, and then the maze takes place for issue five. Um, that maze became such a staple of this story. And so I don't know, how did you read this, the monthlies, when they first came out? Were you at digital at that point or no? Did you read the floppies? No, I was reading them as they came out, uh, getting picking them up from the shop. So at the time, that was when DC was doing the, the digital combos. So when I picked up the, each issue, I picked up the standard and the digital combo. So I mm-hmm. would get the, the regular cover and then the digital combo, which had the, the off-color cover. Um, but that came with the digital copy. And the digital copy itself, I wanted to read it digitally because it was easier for me. I liked reading it digitally, but I wanted the physical copy also. So it was that's, cool because you know that's blasphemous, right, Joe? I don't think it is because <laughs> you know I think that's the best of both worlds. That way is I I have to own it. To me, owning you don't own the digital copy. No, 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 I, not the owning. I'm just saying the preference of reading digitally. I mean, Pete Vera. Oh, I said gonna, it was. I said it was easier for me. I said it was easier for me because I will say. I have the absolute in front of me right now. And that is the preferred way to read it. There's no doubt that is the absolute. And I actually have something to say about the absolute that I didn't, I wasn't aware of. I don't remember how many times I've actually read the absolute, but going back to the, the maze, it was a big deal when the digital came out. Cause I remember, I think Greg Capullo had to tweet like, Hey, if you're reading this issue digitally, you have to turn off your auto rotate so you could read it. And because if you yes. didn't turn off the auto rotate, you couldn't read it. You, it would it would just kind of you would have to like hold your screen so it wouldn't rotate, and it was it was a fun experience. I mean, that was the thing with this book is it became this experience that like, and again, it was my first introduction, so I don't think I realized how special it was. But this was like, this was the Batman story at the time. Everyone was talking about it, and the artwork is really what grabbed me. And that does not take anything away from Scott Snyder, but. Capullo's artwork really got me into paying attention to different art styles and who was the artist behind the books I loved. And that's how I really got into like recognizing what I loved about different artists. And I, I always remember Capullo saying, um, if he draw, and some people might not like this about him, but I think this is what is fascinating to me about different styles. But I remember him saying something about if he starts drawing something and it looks too realistic he doesn't like it. He has to go back to make it look cartoony. And he's not saying that to like, I don't think he's saying it the way I'm describing it, but like, I I just think it's, it's a fascinating way for him to uh, try to describe how he draws to contrast with someone like Lee Bermeo, who is the complete opposite of that. And those are two of my favorite artists. So I, I love the fact that we can have different styles and stuff. And the one thing I love about Capullo is the detail the detail he puts into everything. The backgrounds are amazing in his books. Yes. I've always thought Greg Capullo, he, he draws comics like a tattoo artist would. Mm-hmm. That's how I always kind of think about his, his art in my head. And I love his art. Um, he's probably up there. I don't know if he's my number one. He's pretty close. It, it, it usually goes between him, Bermejo and Jim Lee. It's it's like they're razor thin, um, but yeah. So, so far as the maze and the way that the pages turn, I've heard this from a lot of people, but it is absolutely my experience because um, I didn't have the digital 
copy like we were just talking about. Um, I wasn't really plugged into the comic book or superhero internet world at the time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see anything about Greg Capullo saying about the auto rotate. L- literally, when I got issue five, I thought something was wrong with my book. <laughs> I remember like, hearing I, that from a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. Like I thought it was misprinted. I it, even to the point where um, I called the shop and I was like, hey, I think they I think they misprinted <laughs> my copy of uh, Batman number five. And uh, the, <laughs> the the shop owner's like. Yeah, you're not the only one that said that. It's not a misprint. <laughs> said, That's funny. So, but now, I mean, when you re- when you read it now, it's like, how in the world did I ever think that? Because mm-hmm. it's clear what the story is doing, and it's a very, I think it's a very unique piece of storytelling to show how how mad Batman is going, how insane this maze is driving him. That it, you know, you're turning the pages as you're kind of turning his psyche. And if you notice all along the way during while he's going through that maze, like his perception of things is getting messed up as we as we read. So as the pages are turning and things like that, like the whole book is turning, mm-hmm. his cape is getting longer. I don't know if you noticed that his cape is getting longer and it's just going all crazy. I don't think it, I did notice that. Yeah, it's it's like going into Todd McFarlane levels. Oh, of you're right. Crazy cape. Yeah. Um his eyes are starting to look stranger things mm-hmm. around him. Like picture frames are starting to get out of focus and they look yeah. wonky. So it's like, you're going through Batman's psyche as he's losing his mind in this maze. And I think that's just, it's, it's really, it, you know, that had to have been notes from Scott Snyder for, for Greg Capullo to really start getting crazy with it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard them talk and I, I know Capullo loves putting his own spin on things. And he actually, that was one thing that both of them were very, when they first started working together, it was a change for, for Snyder because Snyder is very particular on giving notes and what he wants. And Capullo basically said to him, like, I like doing my own thing too. So please don't take it the wrong way. If I have my own way of doing things. And it's like, they obviously love working together now, but at the time that was almost like a, um, like a uh, not an argument, but like a little bit of a difference for them, and so I am curious. I don't want to, you know, say one was the one that was in charge of that or not, but I just love it. And honestly, sometimes with the digital, it's almost more confusing because you're swiping the opposite way. Like if the book, you kind of know where you're you're holding the book. Like reading it digitally um, the other day, because I went back and forth between the absolute and the digital. Um, mm-hmm. You have to like consciously like realize you're swiping it the opposite way, or you'll go back to the other page. It's, it it seems like something that today would be a gimmick. It seems like uh, more artists are more likely to do things like that. And at the time, I don't I don't know of any other issue that would have done something as crazy as that prior. I'm sure there have been other instances where someone can say, "Oh no, I remember doing something like that or reading something like that prior." But for me, it was like you said, you, you had to call the comic book store and uh, say, "Hey, something's wrong with this issue." It was just the way it was done didn't seem gimmicky. It seemed like it fit perfectly with what was going on. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, there's so much to talk with this, with this story. I remember issue number one, it was like a great jumping on point for someone that hadn't read monthlies. And Mm. I don't think I even realized that there was going to be a greater story. I was just reading Batman issue number one. Right. Yeah, because I, I had no idea when I first. The court thing. 
Yeah, because I had no idea when I first picked it up that this was going to be like a, a year long arc. I just mm-hmm. thought, okay, this is this is a nice little jumping on story. And then it just became, you know, a massively influential story. Um, but yeah, I just one last thing about the maze section that I want to bring up, and then we'll move on. Um, I found a very, very fun little hack to reading that this time. Okay. Um, especially because, you know, you and I both read The Absolute. So it's a very big copy of this book. Uh, so if <laughs> I, I had a Lazy Susan. Oh, and I laid I laid the book out flat on the Lazy Susan and turned it as I was reading. So it worked. It worked really well. So there's there's a little tip. If you read the absolute or or a or a hardcover or whatever of this book, put it on a Lazy Susan and spin it as you're reading. Works great. Um, But one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, is is how well I think that Scott Snyder made you feel like, okay, we, we know all this about Batman how in the world can he introduce something that's supposedly been around for years and years and years, way back to, I think, the 1600s? Is that, or the 1800s? I can't remember. But either way, it, it's been here in Gotham for so long, and Batman doesn't know they exist. Like, he, he had an inkling. You know, he he had investigated them before, but he thought it was just a myth, just an urban legend, and it's fake. But I think that Scott Snyder did a really good job of weaving the story to make you, you know, to make you think, okay, yes, they did exist. And even though Batman's the world's greatest detective, this is the mystery that he could not solve until now. And I I, I believed it while reading it. So I just think, yeah, so far as a, a, a detective story, I mean, this could almost have been an arc in detective comics instead of Batman because the, I think the detective portion of the story is that good. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, this is definitely more of a detective side of Batman because there's really not a lot of – I mean, there is action because he's dealing with the talent – you know, mm-hmm. with talons, but um, especially Court of Owls, Knight of Owls is a little bit more action heavy, but uh, the court side of it where he's just really trying to figure out what's going on and he he does not want to believe it's real for, what, 75% of the book, or 75% of the, the first arc anyway. He does not want to believe it's real at all. Yeah, and that's a good point that you bring up too, because I I don't think many people actually just refer to the two separate parts, but I mean, this book is, I mean, there's the court of owls and then there's night of the owls. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think of it all as one big story now, but yeah, I don't, I don't know why they made that split at the time. The, the only reason I remember it being split is because the night of the owls had all the, uh, is it night of the owls or night of the owls? Uh, I think it's night of the owls. It, um, it had all the tie-ins. So that's how I remember it being the break because once you got to issue eight, then you had to read you did well i thought i had to read the tie-ins they're really not necessary but it was for me just jumping into comics it was a blast because it wasn't that tie-in fatigue that we suffer from a lot now (laughs) so at the time i i got all of them and also on a side note um kind of a tangent i remember i think i picked up this and detective comics number one because at the time they went back to number one on the same day i don't remember what came out first but i remember like I don't remember if I picked up 
like one and not the other. And then I actually had to go back and make sure I got the other one. And mm. so it was a weird experience because I, like I said, I didn't know anything about the writer on each one. I don't remember even if I kept going with detective, I don't remember what, like, I don't remember anything about the other I, side of this. Like I, I just remember picking up Batman constantly and I don't know why that was. I will say, and this is no offense to the writers or the artists, Detective Comics in the New 52 was nowhere near as strong as the Batman no, it, was. No, it, it definitely wasn't, but I don't remember if it was because I knew that or because I just picked up the Batman book. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I knew it, I think, because I, at the time I kind of dove back in and I picked, I remember I picked up like the first three or four mm-hmm. issues of Detective. And after that, I was like, okay, yeah, this is not... This is not what the Batman title is right now. So I just dropped that one and stuck with the Batman title. But ironically, I think I was more invested in Detective Number One because of the way it ended with the Joker thing that ends up tying into the death of the family. (laughs) So it was a very weird dynamic. And that's kind of a tangent outside of Court of Owls. But it kind of just the whole New 52 thing was such an experience for me. And the the Court of Owls is just the tip of the iceberg for me with like, I, I still can't get over the fact that this was the first monthly comic I read. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a great starting point. <laughs> um, uh, well, one thing I've mentioned before about Scott Snyder, especially is that Scott Snyder likes to plant seeds that come to fruition later in different stories. And there's two big ones in the court of owls. There's the Gotham is, uh, mm-hmm. Which is the the little editorial article that's in the um, the Gotham Gazette that people write in and they give uh, less than three words to describe what they think Gotham is, and that's an that is a story point that went all the way through Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman run. It kept coming up throughout the run, and and eventually it even came up in um, Last Night on Earth. Another seed that they planted here was Nightwing. And his involvement with the Court of Owls. Because we find out in the story that his great-grandfather, William Cobb, was a Talon. And we also find out that that Dick Grayson himself was meant to be a Talon. Which I think is an awesome story point. And they even... I would say that the Court of Owls and then later the Parliament of Owls have even become more of a Nightwing villain group than they are a Batman villain group. Would you agree with that? Well, you've kept up with the Nightwing side of things more than I have, I think, because that takes place through Rebirth, correct? Uh, there was some of it in the New 52 run, and then, yeah, there was there was more of it in Rebirth. Because I, I read all of Kyle Higgins's run in the New 52, but I only read it once when it was happening. I have never gone back and reread it, and I loved it. I remember it taking place mostly in Chicago towards the later part of it i think because the beginning Mm -hmm. obviously he's in gotham and but i do and i never read the talon book by james tynan i've always wanted to go and try that and check that out because that is a new talent or is that a spinoff of the talent in this i honestly i'll be honest i've never read it but that is on my list as well so yeah that honestly after we've read this that was actually probably going to be my next thing because i've never done it and I was curious where that falls into this. But as far as the seed planting, yeah, most of that is actually seed planting 
that's not in their run. Like the Nightwing stuff is more elsewhere. And um the Gotham is I, I don't even remember that because you, you've probably reread this um the Snyder run more than I have. So I can't even Oh yeah, this is um this so I don't read the entire run every year, but I at least read Court of Owls once a year. Mm-hmm. Sometimes this year I've read it twice. So um <laughs> uh because I, I did a Snyder Capullo reread uh for to do last night on Earth on the Batman mm-hmm. Book Club. And now here I am again reading the Court of Owls uh for for our podcast. But yeah, so the the Gotham is thing was just I just thought it was really cool and it never really clicked with me until I read through the whole run earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, he he just he just comes back to stuff over and over and over again. And it makes you wonder is that something he comes up with when he's initially thinking of the book of the of the layout of the entire arc or is it just a happy accident that he just finds places to squeeze it back in? Oh yeah, the planning stuff it has got to be insane. If he really is planning this stuff from day one, it's like how does he even think about all the seeds he wants to plant? Because it, the stuff that he plants in this that goes all the way through to metal and death metal is insane. Also, yeah, well, which I know he's a long term planner because he wrote the uh, the original draft of Last Night on Earth way back in 2013. Mm-hmm. And it didn't release until 2019, the finalized version. So, yeah, I know he's a long-term planner, but it's just fascinating that he would think that far ahead to, okay, I want this to become a theme that we keep coming back to. So I I, I just think that's really cool. Um, Let's see. Is there there anything else you can think of you want to bring up, Joe? The only other thing I was thinking as far as seed planting was Harper Rowe, because when she's introduced... It's a weird, oh, you again. And every time I read it, I have to go, wait, did I miss her earlier on in this story? And yeah. it, it actually tells that later on in issue, is that issue 12? Where they go mm. back and, and fill you in on her? It might be either issue 12 or a later, even a later issue where they actually tell you. It does, it, it comes up, I think, right after the Court of Owls story is over. Because there's like something with the electrical field and the trains underneath and stuff. Yeah, she she's helping him with the electrical grid in Gotham and, and things yeah. like that. So, so yeah, I just, that I think is that's, that's definitely worth bringing up because Harper Row becomes a, a pretty big invention of um you know creation of theirs, and now she's even in Young Justice and she's making her way through the other media, which is cool. Yeah, I I love that that Harper Row went on to to become a bigger character than she was in just the Court of Owls, obviously. But I will say that is my one nitpick of this story. Well, yeah, because it doesn't fit the rest of the book. It, no, it, it's, it comes it's, out of nowhere. It does come out of nowhere. And it's kind of like if if you don't keep up with Batman Eternal and if you're not reading yeah. the other New 52 Batman books, you have no clue. If you just read this as a standalone, you have no clue who she is or why she's there. Well, at this point, even if you were reading the other books, you still have no idea. So it's one of those things where if there is no sequel to this, it means nothing. Right. Yep, exactly. So that's that's my one glaring issue. Yeah, yeah I agree story. with that. It's weird because I do like the character, but it's one of those things where maybe Snyder might have been doing too much. Yeah, 
I agree. Uh, let's talk about one more glaring issue, not for me, but for a lot of readers I've heard um, over time, because there is a big criticism of Scott Snyder that he writes great stories, but he doesn't finish them well. And I don't personally agree with that, but I kind of wanted to get your opinion on it because, of course, we're talking about Lincoln March. So what do you think about Lincoln March and his whole arc in the story? And uh, what, what do you think about the ending of the story? Well, here's another one of those things where I know Lincoln March has come back in the comics after this story, and I can't really speak much to it because I don't think I've read those issues, and if I have, I don't remember them, because I don't think it's in a Snyder book. I think it's from another or uh, another writer took over and did something with him, correct? I, I think he showed up a few times. The one that really sticks out in my mind, he, he, is, uh, he is part of that Parliament of Owls story in the Rebirth Nightwing. Okay. So I remember when I first read it, I do remember having that like, oh, like the the long lost brother story, blah, blah, blah. But again, I think the biggest criticism with Snyder with him not being able to stick the landing is I think that his stories are so great that I don't think anything will ever be satisfying to a reader that is in this ride and is just glued to it for so long. I feel like you're just kind of setting yourself up for a letdown if you're not willing to kind of go with the story because I think too many people are maybe having their own idea of what's going to be or maybe Snyder just does things a little differently where he like with the Lincoln March thing do people think it's too cliche or is it Snyder maybe going too big where he should have just stuck with it didn't have to tie into Bruce. It could have just been this random court of owls society. I don't know. I, I understand the criticism because I do think the brother thing could be a little weird, but I also like that he leaves it open for you to decide whether you want to believe it or not. And that's the whole point of it is that Bruce mm. doesn't know. And again, I don't know if it's guaranteed one way or another or verified one way or another later on. But for this story, I like the ambiguous nature of it. Yeah, I do too. And I'll I'll tell you this: I've heard a lot of um, I've heard a lot of comparison and and complaint uh, that he is very similar. Lincoln March, that is, is very similar to Tommy Elliot. Uh, whereas it's it's this long lost uh i guess in, in this version brother in that friend, version yeah. close friend almost a brother that you know, we never heard about before but at, at which i think this gets a little bit more of a pass because this is a reboot so yeah you know, that it's uh, why would he talk about something this far in the past that he was a child for i think tommy elliot a long lost friend that he knew all through childhood I could see that argument more than this. And granted, I'm okay with either one. That's kind of a thing uh, I am in comics. Too, yeah. 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 So, and, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, so far as the, the can't stick the landing or uh, things like that, I've, I find a lot of times when I'm reading comics, when I'm reading a big arc in comics for the first time, a lot of times you get to the end and no matter how good the story is or how good the ending is, you're like, huh, Yes. And I think that's more of because you're at the end of this story that you've been invested in. And sometimes you don't want it to come to a close, maybe. 
Um, but I'm not making excuses for people who don't like the the ending of this story. I'm just I, I'm I'm just trying to reconcile it, I guess, because I personally do like it. I like the ambiguation. I like that he he leaves it open for you, like you said, like for you to decide. Okay, well, do I think that Lincoln March is actually Thomas Wayne Jr. or do I not? So I'm going to pose that question to you, Joe. Do you actually think that Lincoln March is Bruce Wayne's brother, Thomas Wayne Jr.? No, I don't. I actually like Bruce's rationale of it is that another baby checked in to the um, was it the hospital or uh, the, the orphanage orphanage, right? Or it was it was uh, it was like a, a home. It's for not trouble. it can't be an orphanage because they were still alive at the time. But yeah, it's like a home for it was basically basically a youth mental institution. Yeah. So. I like the idea that the court used this false information to convince Lincoln March that he is Thomas Wayne Jr. I really like that theory. Um, well, I do too, because it makes the court even more villainous. Yes. That they've and twisted it, they've twisted this man into thinking that he should have had all this and basically turning him against the world that they say is, has turned their backs on him. Yeah, I, and as far as the stick in the landing thing with Snyder, I, I've heard that with a lot of his stories. And my personal favorite story, Death of the Family of the, of Snyder and Capullo, I completely disagree with that. But I think it has a lot to do with even like serialized television. If you're you know reading, like here you're reading a twelve issue arc or eleven issue arc, and it's ten issues of build, and then they have to somehow conclude it in one issue that's the same length of the prior ten issues. Like if you're watching a serialized television show and it's 13 episodes and you get 12 episodes of buildup, the 13 episodes, they wait till the final issue or the final episode to conclude it in that small frame of time. It's hard to do. I think what benefited Capullo and Snyder later on when they wanted to end something, uh, excuse me, their issues, they were able to conclude with a longer issue. If you notice, like Zero Year ends with a double-sized issue. Um, mm -hmm. I want to say they did the same thing for Metal and Death Metal where that last issue is a little longer. Or if it's not, those issues were longer in general. They weren't a long story, but each issue is longer. So it's more evenly uh, paced throughout the issues. Yeah. I think that's a big benefit to them with the way they tell their stories. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I also will bring up that you have to you have to end this arc, but it's not the end of a story because the next issue you got to pick up and, and move on. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're actually ending a story. It's just the end for now because we all know that the court of owls is going to go on and things like that so but yeah i i just think it's um i just think it's it's neat that a writer this modern can come in and make make a, a villain or a group of villains as it were here and make them stand the test of time that they are now kind of in that pantheon of batman villains i mean we've we've now seen them on the small screen in gotham and we've seen them in the in the direct to video animated films. And uh, which which one was it? Was it Batman, Batman versus Robin? Batman versus Robin. Batman versus okay. Robin, which took this arc and combined it with the first arc of Tomasi's Batman and Robin run, um, right. where they basically took what was it, Mister Nobody, and made him the Talon kind of thing like that. Yeah, something like that. And and now we know that we're getting them in the Gotham Knights video game. That's Mm -hmm. supposedly quote unquote coming out this year. Um, 
And before someone corrects me, it's not Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody was uh, Doom Patrol. It was, I think. Yes. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's really cool that that you know some somebody can come in with all the great villains that Batman has and make make this new one that really stands out because I don't it, that's that's a tall task and a lot of writers have tried to do that um whether it's I I mean I think Tynan would be the most recent example he yeah. tried to create several and I at this point I don't think any of them have really stuck so that just goes to show you how difficult a task that uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo pulled off here with the Court of Owls. Well, if I remember correctly, I want to say it was a mandate from the executives saying with the first arcs of each run in the New 52, they wanted to stay away from the main villains. Like, Which joke, is smart. I want to, what's that? And that's smart. Yeah, it's weird though because you'd think they'd want to like give a like to keep sales high. They'd want to like just focus on whatever gets the sales higher. But it's almost a better way to do it this way because then once maybe the sales die down a little bit after the big spurt. Now here, here's the Joker for the second arc. Um, but so I I just love how even Scott Snyder was kind of like, how has this never been done? The owl is the bat's natural enemy. How has this not been done? It was such an obvious thing for him. And it yeah, is, which, it's which so is very crazy. smart. That That is awesome research because I'll be honest, before I read The Court of Owls, I didn't know that. No, either did I. And also, I, I got to point out the, um, the year one homage where it's, you know, him saying, you know, I will become a bat. And then the bat flies away and an owl kills the bat. Yeah. It's such yeah. a great, and I don't even think I remember that, but that stuck out to me this time reading it. Um, I oh, I definitely remembered you, it because it's a beautiful splash page. I don't think I remembered it being a year a year one homage. I think uh, that's more what it was for me. Okay. Um, but I got to ask you, I didn't notice this until today. Mm-hmm. The titles of each issue, in the absolute, each issue is given a title. I don't think I've ever noticed them prior to this. I mean, I'm sure I have because I've read the absolute before, but those are not included in the digital versions. Well, so they're not in the, they're not printed in the individual issues. I don't think they are. I'd, I'd honestly, it's been a long time since I read it that way. Yeah. And I, I don't know for sure, but I definitely did not notice it reading it digitally. And the digitals are usually just carbon copies of the individual issues. So I'm yeah. wondering if that was just something special for the absolute. Because I do think those title cards are really cool where they give you the black and white cover and they mm-hmm. give you the like chapter one is knife trick. I like I never took note of it before and I just thought it was really cool. Yeah, and the, I love how they give you the the uh the the talon of the owl in silhouette mm-hmm. and that's where they put the the title card that's that's yes. really cool but yeah i'll actually that's a great question i'll have to go back to the uh the floppies i have and look and see if i can find the titles but that's a that's a great point i'll have to i'll have to look for that um let's see anything else you can think of joe that just really stands out that you want to bring up so i have one nitpick um, okay when 
issue, I got to find the issue, but I want to say it's the end of issue. So the end of issue eight is the end of the Court of Owls, correct? Um, so I want to say it's the end of issue nine when the cave is under attack. Yes. In the Absolute Edition, because they're keeping the Snyder Capullo stuff together, it uh-huh. leaves out the follow-up, which is the call, I want to say, which is literally, like, I feel like it was a really, I wish Capullo did that section. Because it is the one backup issue or one backup story that I feel is necessary to the story. Do you know what you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. It's only four pages. And it's literally is it four pages? No. Hold on. But it's 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 part of the story. It's them getting out of the cave. It's it's him calling the rest of the Bat family, Alfred giving them the list of all the targets. So and then... it's, so that backup is it's printed in the absolute, but it's yes, at the but end. But it's at the, the end. Yes. Where it's tough because I get it, they're keeping the Snyder Capullo stuff together. Capullo did not do the art for the backup stories. Right. But it that... was Raphael Albuquerque. And this is not a slight to the art because the art is beautiful, but it's weird because those two or that story, it feels so out of place being at the end when it literally takes place smack dab in the middle of the Night of the Owl story. I will say my only, the only thing for that I can I can really point to and it's not making an excuse but it, i think it is the art oh it's because, jarring when you read it together yeah i think together it would be really jarring and I, I honestly to be honest in the absolute i think it works really well um with the fall of the house of wayne as kind of a one-two punch there together okay uh i don't know if you read that this time so no i i have not read that in a couple of years the fall of the house of wayne so it kind of it kind of goes back into Jarvis Wayne and you know him being haunted by the Talon and the Court of Owls and all that, um, but it it really works well for me as a one two punch because you've you've got in the call you've got Alfred being terrorized and he's stuck in the Batcave, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to his father being terrorized by the Court of Owls so many years ago. Yeah. So I don't know it. I have I've only read the Court of Owls in the absolute for years now. So I don't know. I guess I'd have to go back and read it as it came out to really get what get where you're coming from. Yeah. It's interesting it's, though. And because I've read it digitally, those issues I read digitally today. So Okay. Maybe it is two issues. It's weird because it's not but I, I, one thing I did want to bring up, though, and, and this is kind of my last major point, um, it, a lot of this reads like a horror. I mean, it's there's mm. there's a lot of it that is so there's so much tension while you're reading, and and 
the fall of the house of Wayne really gets me in that mood. It's almost like watching an old creature feature or just a B movie horror, scary movie. Um, but yeah, that gets me with the fall of the house of Wayne. And then just reading back through some of the, you know, when you see, when you see the, the round eyes pop up in the darkness in different parts of the book, it's spooky. All right. So I, I got to ask you with what you're okay. just talking about, what's your favorite cover? Ooh. Oh, so I'll say favorite main cover. Because the I, I also want to ask you about some of the alternates. But what like because I think everyone always points to I think it's issue five, which is the creepy one where he looks like the owl, right? Yeah, that's absolutely one of my favorites, but I don't know if it is my absolute favorite. Um, I think my favorite is a really simple one. Um, it's the cover of issue 10. Oh, I do love that one. It's, it's just Batman and he's kind of in half light and he's holding one of the court masks in his hand and it's cracked, but silhouetted on the wall behind him is owl wings. Yes. And I, I just love that cover. What about you? What's, what's your favorite? Mine is four. I'm double checking. It's the one with the, the binocular, like the owl, uh, eyes so is that four or is that five and apologies if you guys have heard us flip page so i'm so yeah (laughs) so it's actually six is the one with the owls where he i'm sorry he looks like an owl it's it's issue uh four where it's the the face of the talon and batman is in the eyes i love okay it's it's the front cover of the absolute the the actual book yes exactly yeah, and yeah, that would have been a lot easier. But <laughs> <laughs> but there's but so yeah, I many. I love that cover. There's so many to choose from. Um. Well, okay. Well, since you brought up the alternate covers, which one is your favorite of the uh, of the variants? So I'm lucky enough to have, and I don't know quite how to say his name, but the Ethan Van Skyver alternate of Batman number one, which is a really cool cover. See, that's. That's probably my least favorite cover. Yeah, so it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Them. I think I just love that I have it because it's an odd variant. I do now. I do have the Jim Lee variant for issue number two. I and do. That too. is a beautiful cover. That's my favorite of the variants. Yeah, yeah I absolutely love it. Although I will, um, I will give a shout out to the issue eight variant by Jason Fabic. Because I, I, at the time, I just don't feel like that's a name you got very much. And now mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he's just a high profile Batman artist now. But yeah. that's a really, really good cover from Jason Fabic. And it's kind of, you can see he hasn't quite gotten to where he is now with yes. his Batman art. It's just different than than what he draws now. But I really like it. it could you imagine a Batman number one coming out today where there are only two covers? <laughs> Number oh, yeah. Batman number one only had two covers. Yeah. That's like that would never happen right now. Well, I'll we say get, that's one we th- get four covers of like any random Batman episode, uh Batman issue right now. Yeah, I'll say that's that's one thing I appreciate about um the Murphy verse is Sean Murphy, he does his own variants and he only wants to do two. Yeah, I heard him say that when you do more, it just depreciates the value of everything anyway. And they don't sell because people are splitting 
uh, the, the cells of everything. And the, well, that's yep. kind of honestly like as much as I love Three Jokers, that's what happened with Three Jokers. My those those covers are worth nothing. Like my comic shop has so many um, variants of those covers just sitting around because there was no way anyone was going to buy all of them. Yep, exactly. Yep. All right, Joe. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up here on the Court of Owls. So, give me uh, give me some final thoughts on uh, Batman: The Court of Owls. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to to really sum up anything. I mean, we we talked for a good amount of time on this book, and we really couldn't even get into all the details with it. But it's the New Fifty Two in general really did bring me back into the world of comics, and I still can't get over the fact that this is the first monthly I read. Uh, it is a gorgeous looking book. This made Greg Capullo become one of my favorites. I actually, for a long time, was trying to track down every single cover he ever did. For a while, I was able to keep up with it pretty well. Um, you know, I have like a random Green Lantern cover he did, and, and all that. I, I just I wanted to to really go after everyone, everything he touched, because I just fell in love with his art. Um, I even have every variant of his from Dark Knight Three Master Race. Uh, I just his style. The, the amount of detail he put into everything in this book and you hear about the love that he has for it really just made an impact on me. And, and, and Scott Snyder, I mean, I, I love his Batman. I love his justice league run. There's something about his style of writing that really speaks to me. He grabs you from that first page. He, he has a way of, he has a way of doing that, whether it be an inner monologue or just a narration that gets your attention and just makes you think. And I love it. And this book, I mean, I've probably read this book a good five times. And every time I read it, I'm like, wow, I don't remember that. Or wow, I forgot about this. And it's a slow burn to get to the stuff I remember, which I think I love the most is those first two or three issues. It's the detective side of it. Like you were talking about before. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to love with this book, with the mystery of it and with the action and, and just everything Batman goes through. It's one thing I did remember and we didn't touch on that. I, I would have liked to have touched on Um, after the maze. He does recover a little quickly. I, I think after everything he went through, they don't do, they don't say how much time passes between when he gets back from the maze. And I know they say Alfred uh, slipped him something to let him sleep. Um, mm-hmm which was a, a nice touch, I think. <laughs> but I just, I love everything about this book. The ending, it does not bother me in the least. Uh, this book, I collected everything Snyder did in the Batman run and everything else after because of this book. I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I mirror almost everything you said there. Um, I mean, obviously, you guys know by now. I mean, this is my absolute favorite Batman book. This is quintessential Batman for me. Absolute. I see what you did there. <laughs> I, not intentional. That one kind of <laughs> it's a Freudian slip. Um, yeah, I, I read this. I read this book at least once a year. Um, it is sometimes twice as this year, and and who knows uh, with the, with the video game coming this year, maybe I'll read it again. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I just I feel like I'm immersed in Gotham and Batman's world when I read this. It's it, it feels it feels like it's got elements of horror and and detective work and just and then you get the the big superhero battle at the end. I mean, it's just it's it's all the things that I want when I read Batman. So, yeah, for me, yeah, I mean, 
I had my nitpick about Harper Road, but that's really the only one I have. I even really love the ending. I love the misdirect. I love that Scott Snyder leaves you guessing and lets you interpret things your own way and lets you decide is what we're being presented real or is it not? And I don't know. I, I also I think he really nailed a great dynamic between Alfred and Batman in this story and just really laid some groundwork for for old Gotham and how Gotham was built and and what went into that. And which is also a part I love. You know, I've talked about in Gates of Gotham before that I really love the world building of seeing how Gotham became what it is. And you get a lot of that here, too. So. Yeah, I just I I can't express how much I love this story. And I'll be honest with you, I'm I decided well in advance that we're not going to give grades on this story because everybody kind of knows what I would give it and I don't <laughs> want to be upset for at Joe for for giving it less than I think he should. So it would be arbitrary. <laughs> it would be arbitrary. <laughs> so we're we're not even going to do that here cuz I, I it's just just have it known that we both really really love this book but yeah um I, I i'd like to hear your thoughts guys so chime in let us know what you think of batman the court of owls and if you don't have the absolute go get it because it's worth it in my opinion is it still um, in print or is it really hard to get i don't even know. i don't I, I don't know i don't know um, and i will say the one the biggest compliment this book can give or that i can give the book other than everything we've said so far is it just makes me want to keep reading snyder I, I I almost wanted to go back and read Black Mirror after picking this up because of the detective stuff. When you started talking about detective comics, I mean his his run on Black, uh, Detective with Black Mirror, and then obviously my love for Death of the Family and continuing through the whole run. I mean his New Fifty Two run, I love it. So, so I, I feel bad now because I do believe it's out of print. Yeah, I, I assumed so. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, because I see a copy for like two hundred and twenty bucks on Amazon. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. And you have um, I want to say there's a good essential edition that's pretty great, and I don't have any of the Night of the Owls, but I will say the Night of the Owls tie-ins are fun. They're not yeah. ne necessary, but they are a lot of fun to see the tie-ins with that. Um, there's even callbacks to the tie-ins in this run or in the yeah. Uh, there the is. Book. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're not necessary, but they are really fun, and they and they help build that world out just a little bit more. So yeah, absolutely, dive into some Court of Owls, guys, and let us know what you think. Um, but that's kind of where we're gonna tie a bow on our coverage of the Court of Owls. But we're not ready to leave you guys quite yet because, as promised, we are going to celebrate 30 years of Batman the Animated Series all year long throughout the rest of the year by reviewing episodes from our top five BTAS episode. So we're going to start right now with our first episode of Batman, the animated series. Okay, guys. So to kick off our 30th anniversary Batman, the animated series celebration, we have the episode the Last Laugh. And this is Season 1, Episode 15, at least according to the HBO Max release. That's what we're going to list these as so you can easily find them if you want to watch along with us. Um, but this episode was picked in our Top 5 episode by Michael Gallagher and Jim Mintier. So here you go, guys. Here's your, here's your episode. Uh, so 
Just to get started with a little bit of a synopsis, it is April Fools in Gotham City, and of course, who better to bring into a April Fools episode for Batman the Animated Series than the Joker? So this is a Joker episode, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't remember a lot about this one, um, but rewatching it, a lot of stuff kind of clicked in again. So basically the Joker is he's got this trash barge that's moving through the river in Gotham and it's just spreading uh, Joker gas all over the city and it's driving people insane. And uh, while he's doing this, he's taking advantage of all the chaos to commit robberies and just, uh, just break into all kinds of stores and things like that. And Batman has set out to stop him. So, Joe, um, I don't know. When's the last time that you watched this episode? Before now, of course. Uh, do you remember this one well? How, what did you think of this one? Well, I think I mentioned on the last episode that I had watched this because I had saw that it was an April Fool's episode. So mm -hmm. I did watch it on April 1st this year. And I'll be honest, when I watched it, I did not remember anything about it other than um, the April Fool's joke from Alfred. <laughs> That's the one thing I do remember. Um, the draw a bath joke, which yes. I, I actually was one of the highlights of the show for me because it was just like kind of uh, Alfred's witty banter that yes. I never get tired of. So that was that was quite funny. I know it's probably not a funny joke, but it was funny to me. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's nice to see that from Alfred. And and yeah, that's really all I remembered from the episode. And I, I'll be honest with you, and, and I don't wanna I don't wanna crap on the episode too much, but I watched it April 1st, and then you told me that was the first one that's coming up for this. And I'll be honest, I had to go back and watch it again because I really didn't remember much about it from watching it um back on the first of April. Because I, I mean, I kind of had it on in the background and everything. So I wanted to actually sit and, and really pay attention to it this time and watch it. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't remember anything about this episode other than that. That was. The thing that clicked for me that I remembered really well once I started watching it was Captain Clown. Was the Joker's main like robot goon. I remembered Captain Clown very well for some reason. Um, but that's, I, I guess that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me in the episode. And I think it's mm -hmm. because when Batman destroys Captain Clown, <laughs> one of my favorite things from the show, from the episode, and it's Mark Hamill delivery. It's, it, it's his incredulous, you killed Captain Clown. And then he repeats it in that manic voice, just you killed Captain Clown. And that, I, I love that because it's just Mark Hamill having a blast and you could tell it. Yeah, I, I I can't even say I remember Captain Clown other than, you know, the last two times I watched the episode. I really, I had a lot of, it was almost like a forgotten episode for me. Like I, it's weird because I know I've rewatched, whenever I rewatch the series, I rewatch every episode. I pretty much go in order. And there are always those ones that you're like, oh, I kind of remember this one. Not really. And obviously I've watched it before because I do remember Alfred's joke, but that was really the only thing that stood out to me. And there's some other stuff in the episode that is is worth talking about, but I gotta say, uh, it's not one of my favorites, especially for a Joker episode. I was pretty, pretty disappointed. Yeah, and I mean, and for for the guys that picked this episode, I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna bash it or anything. Um, 
I uh, there are things to, to certainly like. It's not one of my favorites either. Just to just to be upfront about that, um, I expected to like it a little more than I did, just because I absolutely love the Joker, and it just this is a very straightforward episode. And one thing that I I kind of thought of while I was watching it was this this episode came across just a tiny bit more cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Than most of the, you know, the very memorable, most favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I'll be honest, the one thing that really caught me off guard was the score. It has a very cartoony score. Well, see, and that's one thing that I I really enjoyed about the episode because I thought the score was fantastic throughout the episode. It's one of the more noticeable scores. Like it's very, it's very and I don't even mean it as a negative. It's an in-your-face score. Like it, it fits the mood of the episode. Yeah, and it's got the it's got the classic um, Joker theme from the show. You hear mm-hmm. that throughout. You know the da 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 da. You hear that a lot in this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Um. But then it goes into some dark themes at times too. But it goes it bounces right back to to the whimsical. Yeah. But I, there were two sticking points for me in this episode, which I think. Um, just take it down from being one of those kind of favorites. Uh, there were two things that stuck with me and I couldn't get past it. And it was two story points in the episode that they never tie up. One was the stock market because during the whole Joker attack, you see, they make a point to show you that the stock market is crashing. There's, there's points going down in the stock market and they never revisit that. And also when Batman is analyzing the Joker gas and he found and he finds out that Alfred has been subjected to the Joker gas, you get the computer analysis a few times where it says um, result is permanent insanity. Yes. And then at the end of the episode, because we know that Alfred has been affected, but at the end of the episode, Alfred's fine. And they don't really address, you know, did Batman create an antidote or anything like that? You just you have no idea how we got from A to B there. You know, that's a, do, does he create an antidote at all for anybody? No, not that yeah, I didn't not even think of that. So I noticed one of my I actually did take notes on the episode. And one of my notes was at one point, we're like seven minutes in and like not really much happened. Like it's a very slow build with just Joker going around with the barge. And you just see people going insane. And mm-hmm. Batman doesn't come into it about like until about like seven, eight minutes. And that's when I think he actually, which I thought is a cool point, is when you see a rare occurrence of Batman in Wayne Manor. I thought that was cool because he goes to check on Alfred mm-hmm. and he's still in the bat suit. So I thought that was a cool touch because you don't get a lot of Batman in Wayne Manor in the series. No, because usually if he's not in the cave, he's he he's not in the suit. Exactly. Like if he's in the in the manor itself, yeah, usually he's in his uh wonderful brown Bruce Wayne suit. <laughs> yeah. So, um but yeah, it's now one thing I will give credit to and I've already kind of alluded to this. I think this was a very fun episode for Mark Hamill because there was just I there was Joker dialogue. He was just chewing the scenery. Oh yeah. And having a blast with all the kind of April Fool's jokes. And there's even at the end, and I can't remember what Batman said. I don't know if you can or not. But there's that fun little exchange when they're on the little bridge over the, um, the what is it, a flaming, flaming vat or something like that. Um, but he, he says something to Batman, and Batman kind of makes a, a, a witty comeback. 
And I love the line of Joker saying, you made a joke, Batman finally made a joke. And he just cackles. And I thought that was great. You know, that's that's a very that's a very Joker thing to try to make Batman either laugh or make a joke himself. So that, yeah. that I, I really like that part. Well, and like you were talking about the stock exchange, one of his great lines is the only things gaining. What did I have? Um, the only things gaining are the la- the only things gaining now are the laughing stocks. Yeah, and I like that he laughs, but you see his two goons kind of roll their eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, and then I it, really like, like that. Like he he really was just eating it up. I mean, in the beginning of the episode, when the going gets tough, the tough goes shopping, and then you just see him going shopping randomly. <laughs> yeah, he's got the shopping cart and he's just wheeling it through the city, stealing stuff, yeah. which, which is hilarious. Um, I did want to bring out. Let's see where can I where I can find it. Okay, yeah, Noe, Noah, Noe or Noah Ruiz, I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, he messaged us on Twitter and he said, just finished the last laugh with, with my five-year-old daughter who loved it, which I think is great. I think this episode is well set for kids. Um, yeah. But he said, but wouldn't you think the Joker would be immune to the laughing gas and not need the fishbowl? And... And that I thought that was a really good point because everything else we've ever seen about Joker and his lap, you know, his his Joker toxin or his gas, he's kind of immune to it. But here he needed the fishbowl throughout the episode. That's a really good point, and it didn't even occur to me. I mean, you could always chalk it up to just the Joker being goofy, where he just wanted to like be a part of it, like, and it's really yeah. not doing anything. But or this was just a different mix because like the barge is never explained. Like they don't explain anything in this. He just has the barge and has the gas and it's just, that's how the episode starts. No. And, and this is one of those episodes I think where it's, it's rare that you see a, a, an episode of Batman, the animated series where you go, Oh yeah, that's right. This is a kid's show, but yeah. this is one of those episodes where you can absolutely tell, okay, this was just a quick fun episode um, that was in between some of these bigger, you know, heavy hitters. Um, but yeah, that, that part, what, you know what, actually to bring up this point, talking about the help, the, uh, the fishbowl that he had on his head, mm-hmm. um, Jack Nicholson's Joker also used a gas mask. Yes. So there is precedence, I guess. So th- there's this, an answer. They did take a lot from the Burton universe. They did. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the there's um there's that one scene when Batman uh, after he's been trapped in this canister and Joker's poked poked holes in it and he has Captain Clown throw it over the side of the barge into the water. When Batman escapes from the um, from the canister, he says, OK, Joker, you want to play dirty? This was an awesome part of the episode because then that that um, Shirley Walker version of the Elfman score kicks in, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really cool because I was like, "Oh yeah, now we're <laughs> it, Joker's going to get it now." Because as soon as you hear that music, you kind of get pumped. So that that was a really cool part. And that's another cool thing with this episode too is the bat boat. You don't get a lot of the bat boat in the animated series. No, and it it does quite a bit in the yeah, episode. It's... Yep, he's got some cool, you know, gadgets on it. He's got the remote so it can come and and assist him to get out of that trap. It was it was fun. So like again, yeah, it's I think it's more surprising that I was disappointed because it's a Joker episode. Unfortunately for me, this is probably the weakest Joker episode. But 
in Batman the Animated Series, the bar is so high that it's it's pretty hard to find anything to dislike on this show. So to me, you know, a bad episode of Batman the Animated Series is still worth watching it. It's still okay. And I it's good to see that just because it might be lower for me, there are people out there that love this episode because it is so different from the other Joker episodes. Oh, for sure. Um, I did. I think I did want to bring up that I love that. I do love the beginning and the end. So w- we begin with that joke with Alfred, the mm-hmm. April Fool's Day joke about the the draw bath, and then we end it because that that joke kind of fell flat with Bruce because you know he <laughs> Alfred even said he doesn't have a funny bone in his entire body. Um, but then at the end, when Alfred is cleaning up where he went mad and destroyed the library in Wayne Manor. He's upset because he destroyed this this antique vase. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bruce tells him, uh, don't worry about it, Alfred. I'll just take it out of the out of your salary for the next few years. And you can tell this really bums Alfred out, but he's like, very well, sir. And then as as Bruce is walking away, he turns around and says, April Fool's. And I thought that was a really it is a nice moment between Alfred and Bruce. Because it shows that, yes, even Bruce Wayne has a little bit of humor. Yeah, but it makes you wonder, like, does Alfred really get a salary? I never really thought about that. <laughs> well, you would you would think. What, is, <laughs> what does he do? Like, what does he do with his money? He just hangs out at the matter all the time. He never goes anywhere. I guess that's how he paid for the, um, the trip to Poison Ivy's thing. Well, if you read the... Uh, I know you probably... You haven't read the most recent Nightwing issues, but... Um, Nightwing inherited Alfred's oh, yes. wealth. Yes, I because I did read a little bit of uh, I read the first four issues of Taylor's arc, so or Taylor's um run. So yeah, I, I do remember that. So maybe that's what Alfred does. He stores up to uh, help out his his uh his quote unquote sons yeah. in the future, which I think is really nice. Um, but I think I, I, the last thing I'm going to say about this, I think one reason that this episode doesn't really strike for me as as much as it may for others, I really hate April Fool's Day. Yeah, why is that? You told me that the other day, and I never I, asked you I'm why. Not and a I'm fan. not crazy about it, but I, I don't. I remember. I think I April hate it more Fool's for day. the news. Yeah, so I remember April Fool's Day being really fun, like as a when I was a kid, and even like in my adult life at the firehouse because firemen are always picking at each other. So mm-hmm. April fool's day is like a crazy day for firemen. So that's, that was always fun, but it's in the most recent years. It's because of Twitter that I hate April <laughs> fool's day because it never fails every year. There's some wild, crazy news story about one of my favorite franchises or something like that. And I see it and I'm like, Holy crap. And then a few minutes later, I remember what day it is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. This day sucks. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's I. I just I don't I don't get into April Fool's Day. So, but I shouldn't hold that against the episode. Yeah, this is the first year I actually didn't get got by something. Um, usually I'm I wake up in the morning and I remember it's April Fool's Day and I'm good. But then someone will post an article or a tweet like in the afternoon, and by that point I've forgotten about it completely. And it'll be something that's believable. It won't be uh-huh. something that's so extreme. And I get it every year. This is the first year no one did anything that got me. So it was yeah. it was an easy one for me this year. All right. Well, guys, that is kind of our look at 
The Last Laugh, a Joker episode of Batman the Animated Series. But up next, we have a different villain because I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know to get prepped for our next episode. The next episode that was selected is Season 2, Episode 7, Second Chance. So we got a Two-Face episode next, Joe. Awesome. Yeah, so we're going from uh, one major villain to to another, and and Two Face, in my opinion, is one of the more fascinating villains from Batman the Animated Series. So I'm excited to to watch that one. And this is the interesting part of having it where we're going kind of in a random order because it's fine when you're going from like one off to one off, but like you get the it would have been nice to do the Two Face two parter first and then go to Second Chance, but that's okay because I think we know all these episodes enough to where it won't affect us too much. Yep, absolutely. So, guys, you got a couple of weeks to uh, to watch along with us. Make sure you watch Second Chance before the next episode. And join us as we continue to celebrate 30 years of Batman, the animated series. All right, guys, there we have it. That's, that's basically the episode for this time. Um, we really hope you guys have enjoyed it. We hope you guys have looked at, uh, enjoyed going back and looking at two anniversaries, even though one was, was a little late. Um, but nonetheless, this has been a really fun episode, Joe. Uh, thank you for for coming along with me and uh, reading reading the Court of Owls again. I know I had to had to bend your arm behind your back to get you to read it. <laughs> it's fun doing the comic stuff. I mean, we've we've had a nice run with the Batman, the movie, and 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 some really cool stuff that we've covered. But it it is fun to just go back and and cover a great comic story. Uh, that's any excuse to go back and read these is a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we talked about the other day, we have another big anniversary coming up later this year with Batman Hush. So I'm I'm going to have to do some investigation and some research and make sure we're not missing any big ones this year. But Hush Hush will be fun later in the Hush year. will be fun. Yeah, that's actually the first um, Absolute Edition I ever got. And I didn't even know what an Absolute Edition was when I bought <laughs> that. I just, it was a, a way to get both volumes of Hush in one, you know, uh, one hardcover copy. And then, and I will say, I, I, I apologize. Cause I said, uh, Oh, if you can't get the absolute edition of Cordell's go get the essential. Yeah. That's out of print too. So you're, you're kind of, <laughs> <Yeah. beat, laughs> you're kind of beaten. You got to go with the, uh, the regular trade paperback, but anyway, you can read this or, or, um, or your beautiful, uh, omnibus. Cause you, you have to have this in numerous versions. Is that still in print? The omnibus? Yes, the, okay. the volume one and two of the Snyder Capullo Batman run are <laughs> still in print, so you can get those. Or it's on DC Universe Infinite. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you want to read it on a little tablet, then yeah, I, I guess you can do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody out there where they can keep up with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as j 411 Um Find me on Facebook as Joe Forno. And I always forget I am on Letterboxd. Uh, I think I'm J411 on there as well. Uh, I've been trying to really keep up with uh, all the movies I've watched this year, which has been fun. So if you want to follow me on there, you can. And, and thank you again for having me on, Eric. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I... I'm I'm on Letterbox too, but I'm I love Letterbox, but I'm so bad at keeping up with it. So <laughs> I've really I, tried to consciously do it this year because I there's something about being able to see the posters when you're clicking on stuff that's very fun to me. <laughs> it is it is fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to to stay better at keeping on top of it. But 
Anyway, so far as myself, if you want to find me, my personal accounts can be found on Instagram and Twitter and, and Letterboxd at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. Once again, our Redbubble store, if you go to redbubble.com and search TFRBatPod, you can find our shop there. Our logo's on all kinds of neat little things. If you take a moment out of your day to leave us a rating and a, and a review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show as as well as emails sent to tfrbatpod at gmail.com. Uh, once again, we'd like to give a big thank you to the sponsor of our show, GetUpside. Make sure you go to the affiliate link in the description of this episode. Use that link to download GetUpside and use the promo code BATMAN20 to save an additional 20 cents off your first fuel purchase. But... Until next time, this has been a wonderful episode covering Batman the Court of Owls and Batman the Animated Series and just so much Batman goodness. So with that in mind, until we see you again, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointing skyward. created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants of this show are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. I hear a bunch of stuff, Joe. Do you? Yeah, I heard like something fall or something. Did you Your hear mic this? is probably picking up more than it used to. No, because I don't hear anything. Did you hear this? Yeah. Okay, that was just a paper. Yeah, your mic is super Holy sensitive. Holy shit. Yeah, I just put it down. All right, I won't touch it again. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'll get crazy. started. I'm not even near the mic. <laughs> You're good. All right.